Welcome back to your favorite sports podcast, All Good Points. As you know by now, I'm Ricky Gray Jr. What a wild week in sports we had. In college football, number 25 Washington State upsets the number 12 Oregon, and unranked Purdue rolled right over the Buckeyes. And in the NFL, the Titans and the Jaguars, two playoff teams from last year, are spiraling out of control as they both have lost for three weeks in a row. Being at the midway point in the season, it's time for a lot of teams to make their playoff push, so I'll be talking about who I think is in and who's missing out. Also, I have great news. All my fantasy teams won this week. That's right, your boy went 4-0, so you know I gotta finish off with my fantasy news of the week and Rick's picks. Remember to rate and review all good points on your favorite podcast platforms. It's all sports, all players, and all good points. Now let's get to it. So let's start this week off with our Shockers, the teams that went against the grain this week and straight up stunned the world. Ding, ding. First up, Washington State. The Cougars came into this game as three-point favorites, yet the Ducks are placed higher than them in college football rankings. Don't get me started on college football rankings. I don't understand them sometimes. Most of the time, they just don't make any damn sense. But whatever. Either way. The Cougars obviously didn't care about rankings because they made a statement against Oregon. The Cougars held the Ducks to 5 for 16 on third down, kept them under 60 yards rushing, and beat them by about 7 minutes in the time of possession. Now, if you guys have been listening for a while, you know how highly I think of time of possession. But the Cougars converted 9 of 13, 9 of 14 sorry, on third downs and went 1 for 1 on fourth down. Now that's good. That's a good conversion rate, right? You, you push the ball on third down. If you are able to convert third downs, you're able to extend your drive, which inevitably gives you a head up in the game. That's, that's the way that it works. If you're able to convert, you're able to keep the ball longer, keep your defense on the sideline, let them get rested, right? Minshew had 323 yards passing along with four touchdowns. So really, in all forms, in all aspects of the games, and the game, the Cougars proved a really, really big point, which is that the Pac-12 goes through them and the Huskies. Now, those are two Washington teams that obviously the Pac-12 is going to have to come through. Like, it's it's interesting because I saw like a little graphic on Instagram, and they were talking about Washington State and Washington about how they can crush playoff hopes like you don't you don't really think that these teams can do that kind of stuff but I mean Washington State has proven it before and Washington has proved it so these are two teams in the Pac-12 that are really really good and very very sound teams now the Cougars are going to face some more competition this week when they go on to play Stanford and then the following week they've got to play Cal But to be honest, I see the Cougars winning both of these tough games and kind of working their way into the top 12, which would be super interesting to see a team like Washington State in the top 12. Hopefully that's the way that it goes down. But like I said, college football rankings are just everywhere. But moving on to what I think was the biggest upset of the year. I understand that the year is not over, but you cannot say that Purdue beating the Buckeyes isn't the biggest upset that you've seen this year. Now, I love Purdue. I'm also calling it right now that Rondell Moore will probably be the most exciting player to watch for years to come. I'm talking not just college. I'm talking pro. Like, this kid is going to be exciting to watch. DJ Knox ran for 128 yards and three touchdowns, and Purdue's quarterback threw for 378 yards with three touchdowns to go along with it. Now, Purdue forced Dwayne Haskins, the quarterback for Ohio State, to throw 73 passes, which he only completed 49. 
Purdue put up 161 yards on the ground compared to Ohio State's measly 76. The defense was huge for Purdue. That's that's one of the biggest things that I pitch, especially when you're playing an offensive caliber team like the Buckeyes, is that above all, your defense needs to step up and play really, really well. Otherwise, you're going to be in a lot of trouble because that team can score really, really fast. But Marcus Bailey had a pick six to seal the deal and win win the game for them. This was a long time coming for Purdue. In the national spotlight, they shined. And they showed that they're not a team that's going to be taken lightly. They're not a team that you're going to go in there and roll right over. I understand that Purdue has a couple of losses, but I'm talking about big game potential. These guys took out one of the best teams in college football, arguably, arguably, because I don't really think Ohio State is that good. Maybe that's just because I'm a Michigan fan, but they just, Ohio State has weaknesses that it seems like certain teams haven't been able to exploit, but this time Purdue, a team that nobody really looks at and thinks, oh, they can beat Ohio State. Like, if you look at the line, you wouldn't think that, that you wouldn't think that Purdue really stood a chance against Ohio State. But it goes to show you on any given Saturday, we'll say Saturday because it's college football, on any given Saturday, a a team can come in there and just literally shock you and, and not just shock you, but shock the world because I can tell you that nobody was thinking Purdue was going to go in there and win that game. You could you could probably look at them and say, well, they're a really good team. They have, quote unquote, a chance to win that game. But you don't you don't put in your head like going right into it. Purdue's going to win just because of the lore and the stature that surrounds Ohio State. But this time, Ohio State went in there, and I mean, forgive me if I sound you know a little bit biased, but I feel like maybe they took them lightly. Like maybe they didn't really think that Purdue was going to put up the kind of fight that they did. But that just really came back to bite Ohio State in the ass like that. But that's the way that it works. That's the way that football works, not just football. Honestly, every sport period is if you take a team too lightly, they can end up biting you in the ass. Look at Minnesota and and Buffalo. Did anybody think Buffalo was going to beat Minnesota? No, not really. Like you had a thought that, you know, their their defensive front four was good. So maybe Minnesota wouldn't be able to run the ball, run the ball very well. But at the same time. They shocked everybody by going in there and beating the brakes off of Minnesota. Minnesota only scored one touchdown in that game. So that's that's really my point as far as as far as games and sports go, is that you don't know who's exactly going to shock you. But when it happens, you've got to be happy for that team and what they did. Maybe you're an Ohio State fan, but even if you are, you have to look at Purdue and think to yourself, man, our guys are really messed up. They really dropped the ball on this. But that's neither here nor there. But let's talk about the guys that were a tad bit lackluster. First off in the NFL, the Arizona Cardinals. Now, they got blown out by the Broncos last Thursday, 45 to 10. Now, are the Broncos good? Yes, they're they're an okay team. But I really think that this is just highlighting how bad Arizona is this year. And that's not to say Arizona isn't going to get any better. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that right now where they're at, Arizona is in in a rebuild season. Like they they have to kind of declare this season rebuild season. Not just for themselves to focus on uh, what they're going to do next but for the fans like even the fans have to realize hey look we're not winning eight games this year like that it's just not happening you're not going to win eight games if Arizona goes 
If Arizona ends up going like four and twelve or five and eleven, that would shock me. Like that would probably like sit me down in a chair for for a little while because honestly, I don't see them doing that. But either way, played the Broncos last Thursday, forty-five to ten. After they lost, they decided to give the boot to their offensive coordinator because it's obviously his fault. Like it's not. It's it's really not his fault. Arizona is all sorts of jumbled right now, and to be honest, they won't be figuring it out anytime soon. But to add insult to injury, Patrick Peterson said something about wanting out of Arizona. And honestly, can you blame him? Like, can you blame a top-tier cornerback wanting to play for a better team, especially when he might not know how long he has left in this league? Like, You can't, and if you're an Arizona Cardinal fan, I get it. You probably don't want anybody to leave your team, just like I didn't want people to leave Minnesota. I didn't want Jarek McKinnon to leave. I didn't want Cordero Patterson to leave. But these guys decided that, you know, maybe being in a highlighted role or in a better suited offense for them would give them more exposure and a better chance to win. And that's really what Patrick Peterson is saying. He's been in this sinking ship since 2011. And honestly, it's about time he takes his talents elsewhere. That's just the way it is. Not to mention, they went and named Byron Leftwich their new offensive coordinator. And if we're all being honest, he's probably not going to be that successful. But not because he isn't a good fit for the job, but because the the offense is a landfill of wasted talent. You have Larry Fitzgerald, who's getting towards the end of his career. And he just scored his, his first touchdown uh, last week. That was the first time he scored a touchdown through through the whole season so far. And that doesn't make any sense because that's the best wide receiver you have. Not to mention David Johnson. And I understand David Johnson has a bunch of different injuries. He's 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 got a lot of issues. But David Johnson is a really, really good running back. And the Cardinals don't seem to... They don't seem to highlight good players. And I think that's kind of strange. Like, you have a couple of teams that, that do that. And it, it kind of gets on my nerves. But speaking of disappointments, let's talk about the Raiders. Gruden and company have issued an like a straight up an eviction notice to another superstar. Amari Cooper has been traded to the Cowboys. Great on the Cowboys for, for that bold move, picking up a great wideout. And people might bring up that he's like, I think it's top. I think he's ranked second among wide receivers in drop percentage. Sometimes when Derek Carr throws the ball, if it's not anywhere near you, you're not going to be able to catch it. Let's just not act like Derek Carr is this elite quarterback that is so damn accurate He's that, that Amari is dropping every single pass. So good on the Cowboys for picking up Amari Cooper. I'm happy about that. But I think it's stupid on behalf of the Raiders organization. First, you let Khalil Mack go. Easily your best defensive player and arguably the best defensive player in the league right now. Then you trade one of your most consistent downfield downfield threats. And Jordy Nelson is good, but most likely he's going to end up on the injury report. That's just the way that it works. Speaking of injuries, Marshawn Lynch is now on the IR list. Maybe the Raiders have decided that this season is done. Like, they're just going to let it go, and they're going to focus on... uh, be building the team, sorry, building the team, and building team chemistry. He got, I think he got two first round picks right now for this upcoming year and three total. If I remember correctly, it's two, two first round picks for this upcoming year and three picks total. So I do see that being actually really good for the Raiders as far as like, you know, the 2020 move to Las Vegas, like they'll probably have 
a little bit better of a unit and a little bit more team chemistry. So hopefully that's the way that that goes down. But Gruden really has to give people something to look forward to. But let's talk about some teams that aren't looking forward. Two 2017 AFC South standouts, the Jacksonville Jaguars and the Tennessee Titans. The Jags had the best defense in the in the league last year, and the Titans had an offense that people really couldn't stop, whether it was on gimmick plays or anything like that. The Titans defense was was really something to uh something to admire. But now people score at will against Jacksonville, and Tennessee can't score at all. The Titans didn't score a touchdown for 10 quarters. Their first touchdown came last week. It, it, just ridiculous. But Tennessee had a 3-1 and record before a three-game skid that puts them at 3-4 and on the year. Now, defense has always been an issue for them, right? But for the most part, their offense has usually been pretty good. So what happened? These are my three key points that contribute to the lack of offense for the Tennessee Titans. Derrick Henry currently being forgotten. Right now, we're halfway through the season, and Derrick Henry only has 273 yards. If you do some quick math, that averages him at uh, 39 yards per game, which is absolutely ridiculous. This kid is probably the scariest person to tackle, and instead of the bulk of the load going to him, it goes to Deion Lewis, who is a scat back. Two running back systems are kind of interesting because usually one running back gets highlighted, but both of them should be able to run between the tackles, and Deion Lewis cannot do that. That's why you have Derrick Henry. So first and second down should be reserved for Derrick Henry, and third down should be reserved for Deion Lewis. But if you quit the running game early, you're not going to get Derrick Henry going which is a really big issue because if you can't get the running game going, you can't get time of possession going, you can't get the the ball moving on the ground to where defenses have to play the ground, play the ground game, which opens in which opens up your pass game. That is that's the moral of the story there. You have to be able to open up the passing game with the run. But whatever. They're 38.1% on third downs. Under 40% on third down is pretty awful. And that's straight up play calling. Now they have a new offensive coordinator. So I kind of understand that there might be some issues as far as, uh, as far as like play chemistry goes and what he feels comfortable calling. So I kind of understand what's going on there. Now let's talk about the Jaguars. The Jaguars, they benched Blake Bortles. I think that's a good idea. It shows him that he's not untouchable. It shows him that he needs to have a fire lit under him. That's that's what needs to happen. But on the opposite side of the ball, there is zero. And when I say zero, I mean zero defense. And this was a team that had probably, besides the Eagles and the Vikings, probably one of the most scary defenses because they had two great corners in Jalen Ramsey and A.J. Bouye. So you had those two great corners, like pretty much both shutdown corners. And now it seems like anybody can score on them whenever they want, which that's not good. That's It's just not good because your offense is already bad. And on top of your offense being bad, you're missing Leonard Fournette. So there's a culminating um, list of issues for the Jaguars and the Titans. Now, between the two, who do I think could like even it out and actually have a good push? I'd have to say the Titans because the Titans aren't having issues from an injury standpoint. They, they seem to only be having issues when it comes to play calling and um, offensive scoring, like how they're 31st in the NFL in the red zone. That's something that needs to be corrected. But I also think that if there's anybody that can correct it, 
it's going to be the Tennessee Titans. But now that we've covered some playoff or some, sorry, former playoff contenders, let's talk about some dark horses and who's pushing for a spot in the playoffs. So I've actually got two dark horses for the playoffs, one from the AFC and one from the NFC. Now, currently, the Chargers are at 5-2. and two. Here's the problem that I have with the Chargers. They have consistently lost big games. They've only beaten one notable team, and they almost lost to a Jimmy G-less 49ers. Now, you think about the people that are on the Chargers, right? You got angry Phillip Rivers. You got Melvin Gordon, who should be coming back this week. You got Keenan Allen. So <clears throat> a good, a, a fairly good offense, right? You got Melvin Ingram on defense, good defensive player. So the Chargers are good, but are they AFC like champion worthy? And the only thing that like stops me from saying, yeah, they're able to compete with Kansas City and the Patriots. The only thing that stops me from saying that is I don't think that they can beat those teams. So I can't put them in the same level as those teams because I do think that Kansas City could beat the Patriots, and I know for a fact the Patriots can beat Kansas City, but I can't put the Chargers there and say, yeah, the Chargers could beat Kansas City, or yeah, the the Chargers could beat the Patriots. Like, I can't, I can't actually say that, so that's what stops me from bringing up them. Also, the fact that Philip Rivers seems to implode on himself when situations get too frustrating, like... He's kind of the type of guy that will get more and more and more upset, and it doesn't make his play better. Like, there's some guys that the more upset they get, Aaron Rodgers is one of them, the more upset he gets, the better he plays. But with Phillip Rivers, it's the opposite. The more upset he gets, the worse he plays. If he was a different kind of quarterback to where maybe he didn't get faced by some of the frustrating things that happen when it comes to offense and stuff like that, maybe he'd be a little bit more of an elite status quarterback, but I can't put him there just because I don't see him on the same level as like, as a, as a Tom Brady or a Aaron Rodgers or even a Kirk Cousins. Like I can't put him there only because he gets so fragile when it comes to, uh, when, when the shit hits the fan, like he gets so fragile. So that's my AFC one. My NFC one is Carolina. They have a good defense, right? But they have so many internal issues and their penalties might end up causing more of a problem for them just because there's a bunch of unruly people on that team. Like there's a bu- there's a bunch of people on that team that seem to forget what they're supposed to be doing or the way that they're supposed to be playing the game. Maybe like the the most recent one that I can think of is the whole Zach Ertz and and Eric Reed drama where Eric Reed goes and puts a hit on Carson Wentz for absolutely no reason at all. And then, you know, basically body slams Zach Ertz because Zach Ertz is running at him to protect his quarterback, which I understand what Zach Ertz was doing, but it's also dumb on his part to get a penalty. But it's... It's these personal issues that they bring into the game that I think can really damage their team. And there's there's more than just one team like this. It's just Carolina is the one with the best record. Like Carolina has the best since they have the best record, they have the least room for little things like this to actually get in their way. 
that might prohibit them from actually making a deep playoff push, which you really don't want to see out of any team. If a team is good, you really want to see them do well. Like you don't want, you don't really wish for a team to do bad, but when a team does things that are actually detrimental to themselves, it's kind of like a little bit of a, of a step back when you have to actually think like, why are they doing this? Like they know that this could actually mess up their season. They know that this could, this could lose this game if they behave this way. So it's, it's one of those things that you kind of want the coach to take care of, but it also seems like it's, it also seems like the coach can't take care of it. Like maybe he's had a meeting with them and they're just not listening to him. That happens. That happens pretty frequently. I say that a lot about the Cincinnati Bengals. Like the Cincinnati Bengals don't have like any kind of uh, guidance. It's not like they're being coached by Mike Tomlin, where it's not an anything goes kind of place. Like you, you need to abide by the rules. That's the same way that I feel about the Panthers. Now, let's talk about some people that are pushing for the playoffs. You got Green Bay. Now, I could say Green Bay is a dark horse. But Green Bay is kind of interesting because they do have a hard schedule coming up. They got to play the Rams this week. So if they take one more loss, that might actually push them out because of the strength of the schedule going forward. But if they beat the Rams, then I put them right back into contention with, yeah, there there's a good chance that they make the playoffs. Then you got Houston. Since the AFC South is so weak, I think Houston actually just takes a huge step forward and ends up winning that division. Probably goes to the playoffs, but probably loses in the first in the first match. Or sorry, not match, but game. Um, then you got Chicago. Now Chicago is another team in the NFC North, along with Green Bay and Minnesota, where they were playing really, really well, but they've had a couple of tough games, so they've lost, which have which has put them all the way back in the division. The only thing I can say about Chicago is that their defense is so good that they really might be able to pull it all together and and actually uh, make a playoff push, maybe get a wild card spot or something like that. Last but not least, I got Atlanta. And Atlanta is a team where it's such a high caliber offense, you expect them to do well. The problem that they have, though, is their defense. So you you've got two things there where you can either have a really, really great offense and no defense at all, or you could have a really great defense and no offense at all. A lot of teams in the league have figured out a really good balance of offense and defense, but it seems like Atlanta is still on the outskirts of figuring that out. So it's time we get to our fantasy news of the week and Rick's picks. Let's get it going. All right, guys, so let's start this off like we always do with our top performers of the week. Coming in at number one, Kareem Hunt. Came in with 37.1 points. He goes to Denver. He's going to have a monster game against them. And I know Denver's defense looks good. Put the quotations around it. You can't see that I'm doing it. Quotation looks good, right? But he's going to have a monster game against them, along with his boy, who came in at number two, Patrick Mahomes. He had 38 point, or sorry, 32.8 points. He's going to be playing that Denver secondary. I don't think that they're going to be able to do too much with him. Now, here's a surprising one. Marlon Mack had 31.9 points. This this was kind of interesting because I'm not sold on it. He played a bad Buffalo defense, so don't expect him to do that again this week, even though he's playing Oakland, which 
isn't really a great defense, but I feel like they'll be able to contain him a little bit better. Now let's talk about some notables. I'm talking, or actually my number one notable, Mitchell Trubisky, 31.4 points. He's playing the Jets this weekend. He has had three straight monster fantasy games. One game he had over 40 points. This guy is going to be playing the Jets secondary. If you have him, start him, especially if one of your other quarterbacks is on a bye week. Like, he's due for another 40-point game. Just, he's kind of shocking me, because even in the losses, he's having these crazy monster stat games. Now, let's get to some sleepers. First up, I've got Wendell Smallwoods. It's it's interesting, because his own percentage is only at 40, like about 40%, and even though he splits carries with Corey Clement... He's a better receiving back. So it seems like Philly is actually going to be looking at him as far as like receptions go and stuff like that. Now, my second and last sleeper, which is the biggest sleeper, is Nick Chubb. If he is still in waivers because the league that you play in has a bunch of crazy people that don't know who Nick Chubb is, you need to pick him up because... He's he's a monster. In the Oakland game, he put up 22 points. And last week against Tampa, when he was seeing most of the snaps, he put up 14. He's a very big back, but he's very fast. He's got big play potential. That guy is amazing. I'm personally starting him. He's actually a good reason why I won this week. And we can talk about that too. So I have two uh, two fantasy basketball teams, one fantasy football team, and one fantasy hockey team. Every single one of them won. And it was all me putting certain pieces in the right spot. Like I picked up Dak Prescott just because I didn't feel comfortable starting Marcus Mariota, which was a smart move on my part. I picked up Nick Chubb. He had 14 points. So everything came together perfectly. I started the Vikings defense and uh, special teams just because I had a really good feeling about them playing the Jets. I don't have a good feeling about them playing the Saints, so I'm not starting them. Instead, I actually am thinking about not starting a defense and special teams at all because I don't really like any of the matchups. But we'll see. We'll kind of see like the way that that goes. I actually might pick up the Kansas City Chiefs um, defense and special teams. There, there might be there might be a chance that I do that only because I don't think Denver's offense is very good. So. I've got to feel it out. Like I've really got to feel it out and figure out who I'm going to start, but I really want to keep this ball rolling because we're getting to fantasy playoff time and I need to get, I need to get a very, very solid spot or ahead, more ahead of the rest of the group um, in my particular division. Now that's enough about me. Let's finish with my picks of the week coming in first game on Thursday, Dolphins versus Texans. Now this is kind of strange, but I'm going to take, Brock Osweiler and the Dolphins over the Texans. I'm going to take the Eagles over the Jaguars, the Chiefs obviously over the Broncos. I'm taking the Steelers over the Browns. I got the Redskins over the Giants, the Seahawks over the Lions, the Bengals over the Bucks, the Bears over the Jets, Ravens over the Panthers, Colts over the Raiders, Niners over the Cardinals, I know, Rams over the Packers, the Vikings and Saints game I almost don't want to touch, but I'm going to say if it goes over... I'm taking the Saints. If it goes under, I'm taking the Vikings. Then I'm going to take the uh, the Patriots over the Bills. But those are my picks. Remember to rate and review All Good Points on your favorite podcast platform. Follow me on Instagram at All Good Points Podcast. Send your picks in to allgoodpointspodcast at gmail.com. Now you guys go out there and have a great football weekend. Mm-hmm.
The podcast you just heard was published with Anchor. Got something you want to say to the creator of this show? Send them a voice message using the Anchor app, free for iOS and Android.